0: Welcome into the Audson Audibles Podcast. I'm at Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today is the day we talk the big uglies up front. That is Oregon's offensive line going into the 2020 football season. Get you caught up to speed on what you need to know about this position group as the season gets ever closer. But first, we want to remind you guys: if you want to support the podcast, uh, the best and most impactful way to do so is to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com's VIP membership, which you can get for $1 for your first month, $9.95 there after that, or subscribe to our annual rate, which is a $75.18 bill sent out one time a year, save a huge chunk of money, over $36 compared to the month-to-month rate. Both get you inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. You get to read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. That's VIP and free related, not just Oregon stuff, everything. You also get CBS All Access, which brings you live sports, TV shows, movies, streaming, on demand, a plethora of stuff on that streaming platform. That's all free as well uh, on CBS All Access with your subscription to DuckTerritory.com. If you can't subscribe today, we totally understand one way that there's two other ways that you can impact the show. One, make sure to give us a review. Those help us. uh, You can do so on the platform that you listen to the show. And second, make sure to click that like and subscribe button uh, on your platform to listen to podcasts. It's free. You get notified every time we upload a new podcast, which right now is almost daily. Uh, You get all our previous shows on there as well. You can take us everywhere you go in the car, on, on airplane, you're in the hotel room. Uh, you're eating dinner with your family. You don't want to hear uh, today's stories. Uh, pop us on instead. Uh, you, you you can take us truly anywhere with the podcast and it's all free. Eric, offensive line. Uh, this is a position group going into the offseason of 2020. Oregon looked at the Rose Bowl championship on, on the trophy plate and said, wow, great year. We're going to have to replace four offensive linemen. That's a nightmare scenario for basically any other scenario out there. But Oregon had Penny Sewell, the best offensive lineman in the country. He was voted as the Outland Trophy winner, which goes to the best offensive or defensive lineman in the country. He won that award as a sophomore. And you felt like, you know what? Yeah, we lose four starters. We lose our sixth guy at at the position, but we still have the best lineman in the country coming back. And we still recruited really well. We'll be okay. Then COVID hits and then the season gets delayed and then it gets delayed even more. And then uncertainty of being played. And Penny Sewell finally says, you know what? I just, I'm going to sit out the 2020 football season. I am going to prepare for the NFL draft and declare Oregon is robbed of you know, and then there's no, there's no anger and, and hostility towards Sewell's decision. Everyone understands it. I understand it. you understand it. It's the decision he should have made, but it still sucks because Oregon gets taken away a third year of maybe one of the best players to ever play in the program. And you just kind of wonder what if he plays, what does this team look like? And yet, nonetheless, Oregon has no time to pout. They have no time to, 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 sit here and say, what if they have a season to get ready for, and they now have to replace all five starters along the offensive line going into 2020.
1: It's a huge undertaking to try to do something like this. Um, you, you know, replacing two to three offensive linemen is significant. Replacing all five is, is a lot. And especially when you look at it and, and this is not a, this was not a group last year that they really played their veteran guys and Sewell. I mean, they played their seniors, Aolo being kind of the extra sixth guy. That, I mean, they, Oregon lost their top six offensive linemen, too. I mean, Aolo was just as much an extension of that starting group, right? I mean, like he—I think he started at least three games every season he was at Oregon, including every game or close to every game as a redshirt freshman uh, back in 2016. So, uh, like, they lost their top six guys. I mean, this is this is a lot of guys to replace, and you know, I think the talent is certainly there, and of course, the thing that makes you feel always just a little better about offensive line position is that. You got Mario Cristobal. This is his baby. You know, he's arguably the best offensive line coach in the country at the college level. Um, shoot, if he was in the NFL, he'd probably have, carry a similar designation. Uh, you really, this is what he does. So, you know, you, there's room to be optimistic, even though it's just a, an incredible amount to, to figure out here. And, and I'm sure he's – and he said this before I, I, when we asked him. I think it was on Pac-12. Media today about a week ago of like, you know, he, he, again, he's not taking, he's not hanging his head. He's excited. This is a challenge that you rarely get to replace all five. Um, and the cupboard's not totally bare. Uh, you know, and it, I think obviously when Mario and Alex Mirabal um, and the rest of this offensive staff was, was putting together these recruiting classes, you notice that they, they looked at a lot of junior college guys, you know, th- three potential starters this year um, are players that were junior college recruits. Um, George Moore was the number one rated offensive tackle recruit about three years ago. Malasala Amave Laulu was the number one rated junior college offensive line recruit in 2019. And I believe TJ Bass was maybe not the highest rated recruit at all positions on the offensive line, but one of the highest rated interior guys. So those are three guys that are here who are at least veterans. You're not like you're turning this over to a bunch of true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Um, You know, the guys that are going to play may not have in-game starting experience, but they're veteran, they're older guys. The physically developed, um, you know, and for a lot of them, they've been in the program at least two to three years. So, you know, it's not like you're rebuilding from scratch, where, you know, like, if you're a big time men's basketball program, and you're Kentucky, and you lose six players to the draft, and you're replacing them with a bunch more freshmen, and it's just like, boy, this is going to take a lot to figure out the personalities and stuff like that. Like Oregon doesn't have those issues. But what they really have is just mixing and matching and seeing what their best guys are. And that's what we've heard so far. And I'll be honest, we recorded the tight end podcast yesterday. Um, you look at this offensive line group and just like tight end, there's just a lot of question marks. Like, I, I don't know for sure. I don't think there's a single spot on the offensive line that I would write in Sharpie right now. Is like, this guy is going to be a starter at that position. I mean, I think the closest thing, the two closest spots are probably Steven Jones at left tackle replacing Penny Sewell and then Alex Forsyth at center. But even that, like, I don't feel hundred percent confident we talked with Alex Forsyth on Tuesday, and he said he's still playing center guard and tackle. and he's moving all over the place still. and so there's still a lot of uncertainty to figure out. but it is not, again, it's not a group that you're looking at, a bunch of 17 to 19 year olds. You're looking at, at grown men here who are physically developed and who are highly regarded when they came into the program.
0: Seven of the program's 30 best offensive line commits in program history are on the roster going into the 2020 football season. And if you want to pare that down, three of the top nine offensive linemen signed in program history are on the offensive line in 2020. The highest rated player coming out of high school is Jonah Tuanu. He's the third best player ever to sign with the Ducks. He's a red-shirt freshman. Big things are expected from Jonah. He's playing kind of all over the place, um, was viewed as kind of the heir apparent to Penny Sewell. When he signed as part of the 2019 recruiting class expectation though, was Jonah would show up in 2019 redshirt, And then as a redshirt freshman in 2020 play behind Sewell and mm-hmm. then be bumped into that position where he's going to fight for the starting lineup spot in 2021. Uh, that obviously has been thrown out the window. Time is now for Jonah to really have an opportunity to take that starting spot and run with it um, behind him. Uh, the second highest rated player on the offensive line going into this season is Malasala Oamavo Lalu. I butchered it. I'm never going to be able to figure out how to say that. <laughs> Eric said it better than I did. He is the eighth best offensive line commit in program history. So- showed up as an offensive tackle, played more guard last year uh, as a red shirt, played four games for the Ducks, but was the fifth best junior college pr- player in the country the best offensive lineman in the country at the Juco level in 2019. And then Steven Jones, he is the ninth player overall at the position, the third best signed player currently on the roster up up front. He's an offensive lineman. I think that's the best way to describe him because he can play tackle. He can play guard. He can play right tackle. He can play left tackle, right guard, left guard. And he blocks out the sun. He is the biggest one of the biggest offensive linemen we've seen come through. I think anybody, whether it's Oregon or an opponent, um, <laughs> I think Steven is, is literally one of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life uh, play along the offensive line in a game, which you know involves the Oregon ducks. Uh, so he, he has a lot of history playing on the right side of the line, um, right guard in particular for Oregon and games uh, was, and I, I think Eric, he is probably, right now the odds on favorite to be the left tackle i I think Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's necessarily the best spot for him but that might be the best spot for the offensive line and the the task may be can you find somebody that can play the left tackle better than stephen jones can because he's probably your best right tackle which is typically where you put your best run blocker and that's his best skill set.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you just say in terms of like, I think in a perfect world and this was the world that they were expecting was, and I think Jones even said something either last year, or the year before of he was excited to play opposite of Sewell at the other tackle spot. And I think Stephen Jones is probably a more natural fit at right tackle um, based on everything we've seen and heard. Um, and so, yeah, in a perfect world, he would be playing right tackle, not left tackle, but that's, this is the situation they're in. And, It's going to be very interesting to see where he lands. And I think you're right that if he starts the season at right tackle, that means somebody really stepped up at left tackle. Left tackle is the undoubted most important position on the football field from an offensive line perspective. You want that guy to protect the blind side, especially of a young quarterback. Um, So Stephen Jones, I think right now, we think he's the most talented lineman on this team. And he's it makes sense that he'd be playing left tackle. But if they can get somebody else to step up, and overtake that spot and you can have Steven move back to right tackle, which is probably again, his natural and his his preferred position. Like that's probably going to be the best version of this offensive line, but it's a matter of who could that be. And I think, I mean, the real candidate here is Jonah and the the player you mentioned earlier, the highest rated of these guys, just because he has the physical tools. He has the accolades as a prep guy. um, And he now has a little bit of experience, but this is a year earlier than he was being you know, probably expected to be called upon. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if he's up for it. And if he's not up for it, I think we're going to see Stephen Jones at left tackle and we'll probably see George Moore at right tackle to start this season. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. And I think, um, you know, George Moore is a guy who, by the way, petitioned and got another year of eligibility. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a big storyline when it happened. Cause we thought Penne Sewell was coming back. And in that case, it was like, well, you got Penne at left tackle and Stephen Jones at right tackle. Let George Moore is another reserve. Now it's pretty, now it's pretty important. You know, he hasn't played a whole lot at Oregon in his career, but he might have a chance this year to be a big, you know, he probably is going to be expected at least early on. He's the only senior from this group to to play a lot. Well, I guess they also have Sam Putasi, who's battling at left guard. But like I look at George Moore and go, he went from being somebody that was didn't feel like a particular like it wasn't all that valuable. And I'm not trying to bash the kid or anything, but. Didn't feel like he was much was going to be expected of him, and now it's like you know if, if no one can overtake Stephen Jones at left tackle, I think George Moore is your your season starting starting right tackle. So that part is is kind of unexpected, but um, let's see if he's able to take take advantage of that opportunity.
0: I think there's two wild cards here of guys that could really elevate themselves and really shake up this offensive line, and the first one is TJ Bass. Mm-hmm. a guy that was a three-star offensive line commit coming out of high school or coming out of Juco ranks, excuse me. He was the number one offensive guard at of the Juco ranks, the 21st best player regardless of position in the 2020 class uh, at the Juco level. Played his football at Butte College uh, in Orville, California. And this is a guy that had offers from – that he b- basically boiled his commitment down to Oregon – Arizona state and Auburn, all three schools had offered all schools hosted him for official visits. He also had scholarship offers from Boise state, Kansas state, Fresno state, TCU, UCLA, Utah, Washington state, West Virginia. I look at that and what that tells me is this is a guy that, that a wide range of offenses looked at him and said, we think he can help us right away and, and potentially start right away. And we want him on our team which tells me he has a lot of versatility and which kicked that into high gear was we recently talked to Mario Cristobal and I asked him kind of just what's your thoughts along the offensive line, who's working where with the first team and, and who's working basically anywhere along the offensive line. And while he gave us basically every name that was playing <laughs> yeah. at each position, Yeah, some of the names that he included at those positions were eye popping to me, and one of them was T.J. Bass. He he listed Bass as a guy that's taking reps at left tackle, and I don't know if I ever really considered that when he showed when he was recruited, and then when he showed up, he was always viewed as this is a guy that's going to push for a starting center spot or potentially a guard spot. Now you look at him, six foot five, three hundred and what thirty pounds, offensive lineman playing left tackle. You look at the schools that have offered him. I mean, Washington State's offense under Mike Leach at the time of when they when they offered him a scholarship is a hell of a lot different than what Oregon's is. Arizona State's offense is a hell of a lot different at, under um, Herm Edwards than what Oregon runs at under Mario Cristobal, I mean, SEC school in Auburn, in which they are massive up front. They offered him a scholarship. TCU, UCLA. They are different from what Oregon does. West Virginia, they are different. And so I look at TJ Bass and think this might be a guy who has really flown under the radar from a versatility standpoint because a lot of different various programs have offered him different styles that are completely different from one another, which tells me he might, he might be better off to, to play on the, on the outside as a tackle spot than we originally gave him a, a thought.
1: You know who else was perceived as a as an interior line prospect when he signed with Oregon and ended up being a pretty good tackle? Uh, that would be Pene Sewell, who at twenty four seven ranked as a as a guard instead of a, a tackle. Um, it's not inconceivable that Bass could be somebody like that. I'm not saying he's going to be Penae Sewell. Just to be clear, I don't think he's going to win the Outland Trophy this year or, or ever contend for that sort of award. But like. Maybe that's the fit, and that's how you get Stephen Jones at right tackle. Um, and you know, you you're, you're right in terms of the names that, and I'll run through some of the names here in a second that Cristobal ran through. But the guys he said were getting the first options at right and left tackle were Jones, George Moore, T.J. Bass, and then Malasala. Um, so those are those last two are in particular guys we thought were primarily guards. Um, and the fact that they're getting some run at tackle is kind of notable. Both of them are big. Both of them are six, five, six, six, like you said, three, Um, really big bodies. They can physically play either spot, I think. Um, and now it's just a matter of seeing what they look like in pads. We haven't had a chance to to see Well, TJ Bass in particular probably had his first padded practice on Monday. Um, and, and And we haven't had a chance to speak with well, really get much of an idea of what this looks like since. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what the projection looks like for, for, for TJ, you know, if he ends up being a tackle that really changes things because we had him all penciled in as either a left guard where he was battling with Sam in the spring for that spot, or possibly a center. When those were the spots we had him in, I didn't even consider him at tackle. So you're right. That would be certainly kind of a, a throws a a wrench in things. Who's your second wild card. You said you had two.
0: Yeah. Jonathan Dennis, true freshman. Um, he showed up in spring ball, and his first reps with the offense was at center with the second team. Uh, that, that caught my eye. Um, I think he's a guy that maybe he doesn't start, but maybe he catches up to a couple other guys and, and, and forces himself onto the football field as a, red tr- as a true freshman. I certainly wasn't expecting him to play a ton this year, uh, but based off of what we saw in spring, based of what we've heard about him, since then, real head turner, a guy that's, you know, maybe better than expected coming into camp. Um, certainly someone to, to monitor. Um, and I don't really have as much. I think that's, that's more of a deep wild card for me of mm-hmm. who could really shake things up. Um, but there's one guy I look at and say, doesn't really matter where he's playing. I think he's going to just be a starter for the Ducks. Um, and that's Alex Forsyth. I, I, think it's, I think he's the guy that he's like the glue of this unit of, okay, he's our fifth. He, he's one of our five best offensive linemen. We just need to figure out where our weakest link is and, and put him there because he will dominate.
1: I mean, I mentioned earlier, he said uh, earlier this week on Tuesday that he was getting work at guard, at center and at tackle. And <laughs> you can draw the comparison to Calvin Throckmorton. And I tried to, and I did with the question. And he kind of accepted that of like, he wants to be that Swiss army knife. And you understand that, the value in that with with Calvin the last, well, he played starting, you know, he was started for four years of, boy, he could play right tackle. It was probably his primary position, but he could play center. Sometimes he played left tackle. I think he played right guard as well. Never really played left guard because of of Shane Lemieux, who was, you know, holding that spot down and and never really missed time. But like Forsyth could be the next kind of Calvin Throckmorton. And that's a super valuable sort of body in terms of he could play any of these spots. And I, I think... Center is where you kind of expect him to play. I know we saw earlier in camp that Rob Mosley said the first team offense featured Forsythe at center. Um, and so you can kind of pencil him in there. Uh, of course, he's competing with guys like Jonathan Dennis and Ryan Walk, maybe a TJ Bass. Um, my name we haven't mentioned is Logan Sagapalu, who uh, came off his mission. He's a huge body at 6'2", 345. Um, I, you know, he, he's coming off a Mormon mission, so I don't know how much you can expect from him right away, but... I look at Forsyth and see, like, yeah, he's a junior, so he's not going to have as much time as a Calvin Throckmorton to, to kind of show out. But I'm not at all going to be surprised if, yeah, he's that Swiss Army knife on the offensive line. And I think, I think between Forsyth and Stephen Jones, and I'm going to say I'm Amave Lalu, I, like, I feel very confident those three guys are starting. Um, those are the three guys I feel the best about because in the spring, those guys were locked into that first team. Um, and now it's just a matter of kind of figuring out where they fit best. And then based upon that, I think kind of, where do you plug and play the rest of the guys? And I guess TJ Bass is probably like the fourth guy that is kind of in that group, but I still want to see a little bit more from just considering we saw four spring practices and haven't seen much yet, uh, much since.
0: What's just your, your overall outlook of this group? Like what's your sliding scale what's the floor? What's the ceiling of this position unit?
1: Well, I was encouraged by what Cyrus Abibilikio said on Tuesday when we spoke with him about he said it felt like they were running behind the same offensive line as the last couple of years. Um, And and of course, that's a player on the team speaking after like their second padded practice. So I mean, it's, I don't know how much stock you want to put into it, but it's not nothing. Um, So like, yeah, so like in terms of the sliding scale, I think best case, they're semi comparable to last year's group. I just don't think you can expect without Pene Sul on the roster that they're going to be as good, right? Like, right. Pene Sul, there's no one on the team that's Pene Sul. And frankly, the other four guys at the other positions are going to be hard pressed to be better than what was basically a bunch of three and four year starters. Um, Dallas Warmack, I think, started two seasons, but everybody else was like a four year starter. Um, You know, on the offensive line, Shane Lemieux at left guard, four years, Jake Hansen at center, four years, Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle and everywhere else, basically four years. So I don't think you can expect them to be better than last year, but like, I'm certainly not going to be surprised at all. And again, this is the Mario Cristobal factor. And if they had a different offensive line coach, I might be saying something different, but I really just am going to be stunned if they suck. (laughs) Put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to be stunned if they're really bad. Like if this is like a thing where it's like they're snapping it over the quarterback's head and there's a holding penalty every three plays and there's a false starts all over the place and there's free runners running, you know, free, you know, free blitzers running in the backfield, just clobbering guys. Like I'm going to be stunned if that comes together just because I think technically from a technical standpoint, they're going to be really, really well prepared. But um, I, I think it's going to be somewhere obviously kind of in between. And I, I think there's a chance that we have a couple of these guys that are on like the all conference team. And I say that also realizing that like none of the guys on last year's team really got that recognition because the, apparently the coaches in the conference just didn't want to vote for anybody from Oregon. But like, I, I think you, I think I'm not going to be stunned at all. If, like Steven Jones and Alex Forsyth by the end of the season are being talked about as two of the best offensive linemen in the conference. Um, and I think this is going to be one of the two to three best offensive line groups in the conference. And I say that without really having researched the other groups as well as I probably should to make that kind of comment. But like, I just think that's the kind of that's the kind of expectation and the standard that you set with Mario Cristobal coaching this team. So, um, I guess it's not like a direct answer, but I, I, they're not going to suck and they're not going to be as good as last year. So, I guess the the recap.
0: <laughs> I love that they're not going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think for me, I look at this unit and say, if if they're ninety percent of what Oregon's offensive line last year was like yeah with maybe some better play at the receiver position you combine those two things Oregon's offense from a statistical standpoint could be better than what they were last year um as long as they get they get solid quarterback play improved play at, at the receiver position where they've got some abilities to take downfield shots and be really aggressive with their passing game, which I don't think they were for the full course of the 2019 year that really eases off the stress of the offensive line and their run game production and makes things easier for them there, which could really help overcome maybe the, the the slight drop in talent or productivity uh, at that position group. If that kind of makes any kind of sense, um, I think long-term wise, this could be a unit where in two years, maybe they're better than the 2019 version.
1: I was going to say maybe the next year, right? I mean, you'd have most of these guys would be seniors or or, or juniors next year. Um, I mean, George Moore is a senior. I mean, I'm just talking about the guys that were hypothetically penciling in and the starters, uh, George Moore at right tackle. He's a senior. Uh, Big Sala, Forsyth. And, and uh, TJ Bass are all juniors, and I only say Big Sala because that's what Mario Cristobal refers to him as. And as Matt mentioned earlier, he's probably got the hardest name to pronounce in like the history of Oregon football. Um, so I'm going to call him Big Sala. Matt, you can use that as well. Sure, that'll, that'll save you from you trying to pronounce that last name again. Um, <laughs> and then Stephen Jones is a sophomore, so uh, you know this is a group that, like in 2021, could be like very senior and junior heavy. Um, and so, like, I, I agree. I think I think 2020 is a season where yeah, if they can be 90% of what last year's and the last couple of offensive lines are, this offense is going to be humming and it's going to be just fine. And then the following year in 2021 with almost everybody back besides a George Moore or a Sam Putasi, the sky's the limit that year, especially when you talk about some of the line talent they have coming in in that 2021 recruiting class with a Kingsley Sumatia, who's supposedly every bit, you know, a a big time recruit as a Jonah or a Penne in terms of the, the recruiting ranking. Um, and some of these other guys they bring in in that class, Bram Walden, Jonah Miller um, and Jackson light. Uh, like you're, I think there's going to be a really, really good group for the years to come. But I think 2020, like I said, is is going to be a year where you see it starting to come together by the end of the season. And maybe they start really put, ramping it up. And then that carries over into 2021 where you're once again, looking at them as like, okay, this is the best offensive line in the conference. And maybe it's not that close.
0: Yeah. Eric mentioned kind of what's coming down the pipe for Oregon's offensive line. They're projected to have six of the 10 best offensive line prospects ever signed by Oregon football on the team next season. Um, they, they will add three more top 10 players in that group. That's Jackson light, who is the seventh highest rated player ever. He's a center four-star recruit, Bram Walden, who is the fifth best player ever at the offensive line to, to commit or sign with the ducks offensive tackle from Arizona. And then Kingsley. So Mattia, um, the, he is the number one prospect ever. He's higher rated than Panay Sewell was um, at this time, both out of, just like uh, Sewell was, Kingsley's out of Utah. So Oregon's offensive line future is extremely bright, and a bridge year in 2020 could lead the way to a renaissance and re, you know, a, a new era of Oregon football where we truly see some of the best players that they've, they've, they've ever had. Uh, all together at one time. So I I think the future, the the present for Oregon is extremely bright for Oregon along the offensive line. The future is extremely bright, uh, and it's only going to get better, I think, as more reps are accumulated for this unit. And it's all going to be about just how quickly can this team in 2020 gel and become that cohesive unit because once they get there, on paper, they have all the talent to be the best offensive line in the conference. It's just replacing five guys is a hell of a task. Uh, Like Eric said earlier, you know, replacing two or three guys is extremely difficult. But doing all five, honestly, Eric, this feels like this unit is what will make or break Oregon winning the conference championship. Like in my eyes, if if they are as good as we think they are and they play as as good as we think they should, there won't be a drop off. Oregon will repeat as Pac twelve champions, but if there's a hiccup here, it could derail the entire offense. And I don't mean to put so much pressure on that group, but that's kind of the reality.
1: You know what? I never thought of it in that, from that light, I guess. Um, but you said it and I was like, I agree. I, I do think that's accurate. I do think like if this group is going to be, this team is going to be a conference champion, repeat and a college football playoff contender, this offensive line is going to have to be really good. And they can't To just steal what I said earlier. They can't suck. Cause if these guys aren't very good and the organs getting beat up in the front line, there's good enough defensive lines and front sevens in this conference to take advantage of that. And that could be, you know, that could be the thing that really is the difference between six and zero regular season and a conference championship and, and maybe going like five and one or four and two and, and having a season that what is considered kind of a disappointment.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Ottawa's podcast. Before we go, I want to remind you guys the most impactful way that you can help support the show and to have it continue going and if you enjoy these these previews and our entire content across the plat, the podcast platform is by subscribing to duckterritory.com $1 for your first month 9.95 thereafter that or you can go the annual route and save over 36 over $36 compared to the monthly rate one time payment of $75.18 gets you in for the whole year And both options come with inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, not just our stuff, but everything that's VIP across every 24-7 sport website. You also get CBS All Access, which is a streaming platform. So you get to watch uh, all of the NFL on CBS, all of the SEC on CBS. You get live sports. You get live TV. You get movies. You get on-demand features, commercial-free. Sign up today. Get that. Added on to your account for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. If you can't subscribe, totally get it. We understand. There's other ways that you can you can support the show. First and foremost, give us a review on the sh- on the podcast. Those help us tremendously. Uh, we need a- as many reviews as we possibly can get. Uh, those help us get seen by more people, put us up higher on the pecking order for for podcasts. So do that. It's free. It, it takes a couple clicks and. Uh, You're good to go there. And then the second most impactful way that's free is by subscribing to the show uh, on your device that you use to listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Make sure to click that like and subscribe button because you'll get notified every time we upload a new show, which is right now basically daily. uh, And that will make sure that you have the new shows, the most up-to-date shows in your pocket, on your phone, on your computer, on your TV, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. You'll have those, and you'll have our full library as well, which has a ton of stuff on it. We're running through our previews. If you've missed it, maybe you can go back and listen to the quarterback, the running back, the receiver, the tight end group. Tomorrow we've got the defensive line coming on. So make sure to subscribe to the show for free on your podcast platform. And for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Brame. Thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk
1: to you later, folks.